0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation, brought to you by Lacrosse Boots, specifically the Alpha Burley Pro. Now, this last weekend I was out and I took my uh, Alpha Burley Pros with me, and I must say I'm pretty impressed with not only the durability of the boot, but two things I really like about them. One, my foot stayed warmed. I had the 800 uh, grams of Thinsulate, and uh, with this cold front that came through, it was a great boot that kept my foot warm. The second thing that I really like about it is the fact that my heel locks in. I'm able to tighten the boot around the calf and there's no slippage, right? And when people think of a big bulky rubber boot, they typically think that hey, it's gonna, my foot's going to be sloppy in it. Uh, that's not the case. So those are two things I really like about the Alpha Burley Pro. You need to go check out lacrossefootwear.com. Check out the Alpha Burley Pro, and uh, I think you're going to like what you find. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number
1: one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now. Here's your nine-fingered host,
0: Dan Johnson. Woo! Happy hump day, everybody. I'm excited. Like, I don't know what it is. It could be the coffee. It could be the sugar. It could be a combination of all those things. And it could be also that I'm mentally unstable, which there's a good chance of that too. But hey, man, welcome back to the 9-Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Please go check out the exodusoutdoorgear.com website and buy an Exodus trail camera. Use the discount code 9fingers. That's the number 9 followed by the word fingers and you will save $20 on your trail camera purchase. Now, today's podcast. Well, before before I get into today's podcast, I want to tell you one thing. I was digging through I was digging through some old pictures. Uh, of me deer hunting way back in the day, like 14, 15 years old. And do you remember those little wafers that we used to pin to our hats that smelled like dirt? That right there, my friends, kind of sums up what I used to hunt like way back in the day. You know, things that smelled like dirt. I used to put my boots in pine needles and like all these things. And it just kind of brought back a lot of memories of what it was like to hunt back in the day uh what i thought was cool what i thought worked Uh, you know obviously we've come a long ways not only from uh the the uh the technology side of things but i was a sucker back in the day for a good gimmick and uh anyway that uh that picture brought back a lot of awesome memories and a lot of time spent out in the woods enjoying mother nature and now i can say that is what today's podcast is about man we're going to be talking to a gentleman named alex comstock and alex he's got a smile on his face right now because just one week ago on thursday he harvested an absolute giant whitetail uh nice 10 pointer with some garbage on it and that's what we talk about today we're going to talk about uh, the strategy that went into that hunt how he found this deer um how he had to gain, he lost access to that property, then had to talk with the landowners to try to get access back to that property, which he eventually did, and uh, and he was able to harvest an absolutely gorgeous buck, and long story short, that's what today's podcast is about. Now, speaking of scent-related products, uh, you guys all know that I am... A huge fan of Ozonics. Uh, not only do I have to wash my clothes less when I use it because I am a huge fan of their dry wash bag, I also am a huge fan of what it does in the tree. I can tell you right now that this last weekend, man, it was—I think it was Saturday morning. Uh, the wind was kind of swirling all over the place, and I saw. I think I saw like five or six deer. I had four deer come by me within shooting range and a doe, a really weary doe, and her fawn came through and they hung out underneath my stand. And now the, the fawn, nothing, right? I didn't need to worry about her. She was playing around, but the doe, she, she could smell something different, but she didn't smell me. And that was the biggest thing. She didn't blow at me. Um, The wind was swirling and the Ozonics took care of that. For me and, uh, dude, I'm you know, I have talked to you guys a lot about this over the years, and I'm a huge believer in ozone technology, especially with what uh, Ozonics is doing. So, be sure to check out the Ozonics website at ozonicshunting.com, and when you buy one of the units. Enter the discount code Nine Fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, and a free dry wash bag will be added to your order. So that's a win. You buy a unit and you get a free dry wash bag. So that's a win-win. All right. Without further ado, let's get into today's big buck success story. I guess we're gonna call it so uh, a big buck success story with Alex Comstock. All right, on the phone with me right now mr alex comstock how you doing man
1: pretty good dan how are you doing
0: i'm doing good but i don't know if i'm doing as good as you uh have has, <laughs> has the smile gone off your face yet from uh what happened this past thursday night
1: uh definitely not no <laughs> 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 i haven't really slept much the last few days
0: do you like ha- have you already taken the buck to the taxidermist yet yeah. You have. Okay. So, the is the did he uh, skull cap it and then are you able to take the the rack home with you or did you just leave it at the taxidermist?
1: I just left it at the taxidermist.
0: So, you can't hold it and like it's kind of funny every every time, and I don't mean a couple times. I'm saying every time I walk from my kitchen back to the bedroom or to the bathroom, I look at my mounts every single time and I just have these (laughs) these memories that flash up and all this stuff and uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today is is your recent success already this year Uh, in early season you know we'll call it an early season buck and uh, I want to talk to you about how you know how you were successful why you think you were successful maybe this buck's pattern did you have any history with him blah 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 get the whole story is that cool
1: yeah, it works for me.
0: All right. But before we get into that, why don't you tell everybody about where you live and what do you do for a living?
1: Yeah, so I, I live in um northern Minnesota and then um for work I run social media accounts and do like a lot of digital marketing and stuff like that. So um kind of works nice with what I do in the in the hunting space too.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, and you also have a blog called Whitetail DNA.
1: Yep. Yep, so I run a blog and do a lot of writing and then a lot of video and stuff like
0: that as well. So Cool. And that obviously kind of ties into deer hunting, uh, which I take it is a passion of yours, right? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: for sure. Cool. Pretty much what I do uh, all the time.
0: Yeah, cool, cool. All right, so I want to kind of start at the very beginning, and I want to talk about whether or not were you successful – in 2017? Um, I was not. You were not. So you ate a little bit of tag soup. And after that 2017 season, right, you you realized, hey, man, I I didn't tag out. I'm a little bummed like we all are if we don't, uh, you know, kill something that we're after. What was kind of your thought process after the 2017 season? Um maybe even a little bit about what your thoughts were on the upcoming season, even though it was, you know, several months away.
1: Right. Well, 2017 was interesting because I was living in North Dakota and had lived out there for a few years. Um, I'd moved, I transferred colleges. And so I'd gone from Minnesota to North Dakota. And then in um, 2017 I had moved back to Minnesota mid season and so it kind of – I was after a specific gear out in North Dakota and then didn't get them, and when I moved, it was just kind of really hectic. And I just was kind of feeling behind the eight ball the rest of the year um, because then I went to trying to hunt North Dakota every weekend and still having my stuff in Minnesota, but um, just really feeling not like I was up to date on what was going on and trying to run cameras and whatnot. And then so going into 2018, my biggest thing was really trying to just – familiarize myself. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the spring scouting and shed hunting and then um, we'll get into this more, but then this property that I actually ended up killing this book on, I'd really wanted to get permission on because I had hunted it and had permission on it um, like five years ago and then had lost it through a series of events. And I really had wanted to get it back. And so those are kind of things that I was thinking about going into to 2018.
0: Gotcha. So what was it about like, you you transferred colleges. You went from uh, North Dakota to Minnesota, but did that? Did you have to hunt Minnesota last year as a non-resident, or because you were a college student, you could hunt it as a resident?
1: So when I went, so I went from Minnesota to North Dakota, and then um, so I kept my res- residency in Minnesota. Ah, I, got I was hunting North Dakota as a like they call it a non-resident student, and so when I came back to Minnesota last year in 2017, I was still a Minnesota resident. So I was, that's kind of how that worked.
0: Gotcha. So when you moved back to Minnesota, Minnesota, then, uh, were did you get nervous at all about, man, I have to start all over or I don't have property or, you know, like that, that search for property to hunt.
1: Right. Yeah. I was, I mean a little bit because where I hunt, do most of my hunting in Minnesota. It's unique. It's, um, like an urban city hunt and so you're assigned a zone and there's public land in each zone and so like you're kind of limited to what you can hunt but then you can hunt anywhere in the the city if you've got private if that makes sense
0: right and i didn't have
1: any private so i was limited to a real small piece of public pretty much and was trying to just bounce around there and i wouldn't say that i was nervous but i was just more so it was i got real frustrated last year because i had I mean, in my time in Minnesota last year, I didn't have any mature bucks that I knew of, and I had zero encounters from end of October when I moved back throughout the rest of the year.
0: Gotcha. So is it, obviously it's probably pretty different going from North Dakota to Minnesota, just a a big difference in terrain?
1: Yeah, it's way different. I mean, because, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, plus, plus I take it that just the available places to set up. I mean, were you hunting in North Dakota, were you hunting more flat ground and sea along ways, as opposed to Minnesota, which I think of just a lot of trees everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's pretty much, it's, you know, complete 180 from North Dakota. It's hard to find a tree. And then in Northern Minnesota, you know, your big woods here. Yeah. I mean, it's just way different. Gotcha.
0: And so you're saying that, where, where you were hunting is more of a, a suburban setting or a urban setting where you know you're amongst houses and uh, businesses and just more of a residential area.
1: Yep, exactly like that.
0: Cool, cool. Um, so, talk to me a little bit about the process, right? I mean, you 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 said that you had lost a piece of property piece of private ground five years ago that you used to hunt and eventually this is that is where you harvested this buck at right yeah okay so talk to us maybe a little bit if you can uh, about how you lost that piece of property and then how you got it back
1: yeah so what had happened was i hunted it um, for a couple of years and it was a really good property i mean i always had quite a few mature bucks on it it's just a small 10 acre spot um But, you know, looking back on it now, I just kind of hunting it wrong. So I didn't, I didn't uh, shoot anything back then, but then, um, pretty much the year that I moved out to North Dakota, um, I still wanted to keep the property, but the landowner, he was a really old guy and, um, he had actually passed away. And then his son had taken over the house and the property and whatnot. And the, um, his son and his wife and the wife wasn't really too keen on having somebody back behind their house hunting and she was kind of scared of arrows flying around or shoot a dog <laughs> on accident or something like that. They had younger kids. And so, I mean, for, for someone who doesn't really know anything about hunting, I guess I could understand it. Yeah. Um, but when I came back, um, so then this year, I really, really wanted it. And uh, I'd reached back out to him and they kind of reevaluated and he had me come over and I had to sit down and talk with them and talk with the wife and um, pretty much reassured them that, you know, I was good down-to-earth uh, bow hunter that wasn't going to do anything bad or harm their pets. And the kids had kind of grown up a little bit, and they weren't as worried about that. And, I mean, she had even told me, she was like, if I ever find an arrow sticking out of the yard, you're never coming back. I was like, yeah, no, that'll never be a problem. Um, <laughs> and so through that series and just talking to them, kind of making them feel a little bit better, they uh, gave me permission back, so. Gotcha. That was that was in July or August this past summer, and that was kind of the first big win for me.
0: Awesome. So how many acres are we talking about?
1: Uh, it's about nine, 10-acre property.
0: Okay, it's a nine or 10-acre property. And then is it all big, like, I should say, is it all nine or 10-acre lots surrounding this area, or is this the biggest lot in the area?
1: So where it sits is actually, what? What makes it good, too, is it's a about a 10-acre piece, and it's in a zone where behind it is a big piece of public. So uh, that quite a bit of pressure behind it. Yet this is kind of a small pocket of unpressured property where in the last um, five to seven years, I'm the only one who's ever hunted it. So that's what kind of makes it good.
0: I gotcha. So does that pu- public piece behind it get a lot of pressure then? Yep. Okay. So So, the only
1: access to that public is like on the, it's like a big hill pretty much. Um, So everyone comes in from the bottom and me, you know, have a private on the top. I can come in from the top and um, that's
0: how it works out pretty nicely. So basically what you're saying is for either a morning hunt or an afternoon hunt, the deer may be in that public piece, but as people start to filter in, all the pressure just pushes them right towards you? Yep. Oh man. That's just a win-win scenario. I have a I have a couple pieces like that where if I take alternate access to get to one of my stands, like a long way around, and the other hunters will come in from the top or the bottom, just depending on what piece, it's just like th- they'll all go by me. It's just a matter of going down the right trail at that point. Right, yeah. So talk to me a and- l- little bit about this, this area then, because what I want to know is, you know, obviously, deer, right? Especially in October when you shot this one, it's early season. They're probably still on somewhat of a a, a regular bed to feed pattern. Um, what what do these deer do? Especially, well, I tell you what, I'm getting ahead of myself. What I want what I want to do is I want to know about once you got this property, did you did you start scouting? Did you hang cameras? What did you do to see if there was anything there that you even wanted to shoot?
1: So the first thing I did was throw up a camera literally where I had run it back, you know, a few years ago. And to see if deer, were kind of doing the same thing because on this property, there was one oak tree that uh, would drop. If it had acorns, it would always drop really early, you know, first week of September uh, before you can even hunt. And so I would put it there. And there's this trail that comes from where they're bedding, which is down in the public. And they walk this trail right on the edge of this creek up through a big grove of like real big, um, maple trees and stuff as they head to, there's a bunch of apple trees and whatnot on the other side of this road, which isn't far away. And so where I'm sitting is kind of a little staging spot for they getting up into the apple trees, which are right behind houses and whatnot, which they're not getting to till dark. Right. Um, and so right away I'd gotten this buck and two others that were consistently on camera, um, all summer that kind of clued me into, I wanted to shoot one of those guys.
0: Dude, you're making this sound way too easy. You gotta, you gotta like <laughs> say you struggled at some point, or you were frustrated, or <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds you know, it sounds to me like everything just kind of worked out perfectly for you.
1: I mean, everything down to when I released Zero, I mean, it, it went the way that you always dream about it, but it never happens, type of thing.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, so have in the past, had you found success in this type of uh, suburban uh, environment? Yeah,
1: so I shot my biggest buck ever back in 2013 in a similar situation, not this property, but um, ever since well, since 2013 was the first year I'd done it, um, yeah, there's a lot of really good hunting in this, this area, this city hunt that I have.
0: Gotcha. So you just, you know, you had the right piece of property, it sounds like. Right, yeah. Okay. So other than the buck that you shot, talk to us a little bit, uh, well first off describe what he what he was you know what he is and did you immediately know he was a shooter and then also tell us a little bit about some of the other bucks that were running around that area
1: yeah so he was a mainframe five by five with a kicker on his g2 and his g3 and then uh he had a small little point at the end which would have been what is g2 three four, five, um at the end which made him a eight by five technically yeah um And so it was him in there, and there was a buck that was slightly smaller than him, probably 140-inch clean 10-pointer, and then there was a buck that was a little bit bigger and older than him, Um, actually a buck that I had pictures of the last time I had cameras on this property back in 2015 as a probably a four-year-old, three- or four-year-old buck. I think he's like seven or eight, and he's a big, gnarly, I think he's an eight-by-six with all his stickers, and he's got palmation on one side, and a split Z2, and then a kicker off that split. And he was actually the buck, the oldest one, the biggest one that was the most active on the camera, the one that I figured I would have seen um, in daylight out of all three of them.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, you know, what I've heard is these, these deer, and this is just from other people, uh, who I've talked with who hunt this kind of suburban area. Uh, you know, they, a lot of people just say, Oh dude, it's easy. You just, you know, they're, they're used to people, but is that the case? Or, I mean, in a scenario like this, do you still get busted or the deer more tolerant of humans? I mean, the one guy I talked with, I think it's from Maryland, he's like the deer pegged me the minute that I was, you know, if I was walking around swinging on the swing set, they probably wouldn't have cared, but I was up in the tree and I was something different and they didn't like that. And they'd split.
1: Right. Well, what I've seen is I didn't hunt the city back when it first started. So this city hunt started at in the, I want to say 2004, 2005 region. And back then those first couple of years, I mean, every guy and their brother was shooting a monster. And, but as time went on, and now since then I think I and mean, I've got we've got stats, I think some shot eight thousand, nine thousand deer out of the city. It's way different now. You know, right. these deer anywhere. I mean they get smart and they get smart quick and now I mean like that one buck, he's probably a seven or eight year old and that, that doesn't happen by accident even in the city. So yeah, they do tolerate people more, but exactly as soon as you get up in a tree, I mean I've gotten pegged and busted and but you can use things to your advantage, you know, if you're hunting close enough to a road and you get the wind blowing that way. I mean, you just you're hunting the same, but different as if you were in, you know, somewhere where there aren't, you know, they're not used to people. If that makes any sense.
0: Right. So, so what's the biggest difference other than maybe parking in some dude's parking lot and, and hunting in his backyard? What's the biggest difference between a a country hunt versus city hunt? Like what you, what you did for me, I think it's just that it's what you're using as a,
1: you know, like if I'm hunting out in North Dakota, you know, I'm trying to get something behind me or wherever the the wind is that they're not going to be getting behind me or um, using to your advantage. And in this spot, or in a city hunt, you're using things like, well, they're probably not going to be going back behind me because there's a fence behind the guy's house or something. The things that you're using to put, you know, the wind in your advantage or cutting it in their advantage. Um, like, I was hunting only, I don't know, 50 yards from a road that I paralleled. And there's this trail that comes up this creek where he came up. I didn't think he was gonna come on the other side because he's not gonna to wanna to walk that close to the road, if that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah. So with all these like what was this property fenced in? And what I mean fenced in, I don't mean high fence. I mean like just to be clear to the listener, I'm talking about like a yard <laughs> fence all around around the property that they would have had to jump to come off of that public ground. Uh no. There's no. no
1: fence or anything anything anywhere.
0: Uh, okay. So what were these deer doing now? Now back to my original question, what were these deer doing? You know, once you, once you located them, uh, what were they doing? And once you found out what they were doing, how did you narrow down? Like what wind direction you needed or why was last Thursday the magical day?
1: Sure. Um, so where I had them coming up, I mean, it was, they're coming up from the bedding on public, they're walking this trail that's just very heavy and beat down along this creek up towards like i kind of said earlier up towards all these apple trees and there's these fruit trees across the road where i can't hunt but i figured i mean all my pictures are more or less you know during the summer there'll be in the evenings you know headed towards that food um or the early morning coming back and so what i was figuring is that i was kind of in a staging spot and if a deer was going to be coming through in daylight, it was going to be the last half hour, you know, I mean, as they're heading up towards all the fruit trees and whatnot. Um, and so this buck that I ended up shooting, I had him on camera, you know, all of September. I mean, I had one daylight photo of him in legal shooting light at the end of the evening on like September 3rd. So, I mean, even two weeks before the season opened. Yeah. Um, but I had him consistently on camera from about, 8 to 9 p.m., which is, you know, more than an hour, a little over an hour after shooting light. So I figured if I was going to get him in daylight or the other bigger one, which had shown in daylight twice the last week of September, right at last light, I figured I'd need some type of weather front or something. And last Thursday was the first day of a cold front. And four days prior to that, we had you know, four days of torrential rain pour, we had high winds, um, just miserable weather. And then Thursday it broke and I got in the tree and he had, he showed up 15 minutes before last light.
0: Wow. So when you checked your trail cameras, I don't know whether you did it that day or, or periodically throughout, you know, that week leading up to, you know, that cold front coming through all that rain. In high winds did he come through that area after dark or were they hunkered down in that public the entire time
1: he came through it would have been the first day of that weather so he came through the one day and i think he didn't i mean i checked the camera after i shot him and then he didn't show up again till the day i shot so he was i'd assume hunkered down for those
0: those few days gotcha so this cold front comes through. What was the temperature difference from when the when it was raining and all, all that stuff to the end where that that Thursday night when you got in the stand? Because I watched the video on your Facebook page and it looked like you were bundled up pretty pretty warm.
1: Yeah, it was in the mid forties when it was raining in those two days and then on Thursday when I was sitting it was like thirty three with a a windshield. I think it was like twenty eight or twenty nine. Wow.
0: Wow. So a pretty substantial cool off
1: yeah for that time of year I mean I was looking I think uh, you know on one ground I think it is you can look at the average temperature for this time of year and the average high temp was like you know 56 or something and it was in the low 30s
0: so right all right so next question is on you know on nine or ten acres you're you're probably pretty limited to where you can put your tree stand so why that tree out of all the other trees on the property like just dis- describe kind of why you why you selected that tree and maybe uh, break it down a little bit for us
1: yeah so where i put this stand is like you said it was pretty uh it's pretty limited on where you can hunt and then knowing that how consistent these bucks were coming through in this spot, I didn't want to push back any further. I mean, I was close to the edge of public anyway, but you know, so was kind of opposite of what people think. I couldn't go on to the public, so I didn't want to push down any further. And uh, when I had went in, my plan was I had hung a camera the day I got permission, and then I went back. It would have been about three weeks later, I think, so mid to late August. And uh, I figured when I checked that camera, if I had bucks on it that I wanted to shoot, I was going to hang a stand just off of that. I mean, only 20 yards away from that camera, which is sitting over this trail leading up towards the road where they were feeding at night. And, uh, I checked the camera, had them on, had those bucks on, on, or got pictures of them. And then I'd hung the stand that day. And then I only returned to check the camera one other time in September. And just my thought was that, these bucks won't be feeling any pressure on this private. They haven't in the past few years. I wanted to keep it that way until I got in there in the right conditions to, to hunt pretty much. And it was only my second hunt in that stand um, this year. Right.
0: So you went in one time before that, and what did you see?
1: When I had checked that camera, I checked it the last week of September, and I had the one, the older, bigger buck, had shown up in daylight twice and then the one that I ended up shooting was, I mean, almost nightly, just, you know, an hour after shooting light. And so I knew that they're in there. I knew they were there and I knew that one of these days they were going to show up in daylight. I just had to be there. I figured with the weather break, that was the day to go in.
0: Oh, so it, you didn't hunt before that night. You just checked trail cameras.
1: Right. Oh, I did sit at one night before then, um, the week before. The week before, the first week of October, and I did check the camera when I hunted, but I didn't see any deer that that first set.
0: Okay. Any does? Nope. Nope, No does. So, I mean, even does on trail camera, or was it just the bucks coming through?
1: A few. There really wasn't a ton of deer on camera, mainly just close three bucks, to be honest. Wow. Awesome.
0: (laughs) So you knew what you needed to do, right? I mean, it sounds to me like you didn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that, Hey man, a cold front's coming and you you just had to make sure your wind was right.
1: Yeah, exactly. And going in, I thought the wind was going to be marginal. Um, but this hill face that this property sits on, the wind can do some funky things. When I got, when I left the truck, I had a slight mm, Southeast wind. And then when I got into the, into the stand, by the time I was in the stand, it was more of a, a Northwest and a Northwest was perfect for me. And so, um, it kind of worked out, I just happened chance perfectly. I wasn't thinking that I was going to go into the hunt. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So walk us through the rest of it. I mean, from the time you get out of the, from, you know, from the time you get out of your truck, you walk to the stand to the time you let the arrow fly, just walk us through the rest of that, you know, the rest of Thursday night.
1: Yeah. So I was sitting at work and, you know usually I work till about five and uh, sunset was at 6.30, so you had you know till seven to shoot and I was, kind of snuck out about 20 minutes early rushed to the spot got changed at the truck um, was just in a scramble you know after work one of those type of deals and uh, walked into the stand by the time I got set up it was about 5 twenty um, got settled in. And then didn't see any, he was the first deer I saw. So I just kind of, I mean, it was one of those sits though, where when the conditions kind of just line up, you just, you know, you're really optimistic. And so I was kind of on edge the whole time and uh, I was just ready. And I was, the way I had the stand set up, was I'm kind of facing the way, facing away from where I expected to come through. So I'm standing up in the tree, kind of facing the tree. And so I remember I just, the last about 20 to 30 minutes, I usually just leave my camera on when I'm, I'm filming. And so my camera was already on and pointed that direction. I kind of looked, saw movement coming at me. I hit record, zoomed in on them. And, uh, well, let me back up a second. I saw movement, had thrown my binoculars. And for whatever reason, I was having trouble finding on my binoculars because it was just so thick. And then I had turned my camera on, zoomed in, and immediately, as soon as the camera kind of he kind of came into frame. I saw the split G2 and 3, and I knew exactly what buck it was. And uh, he sort was coming down the trail just perfectly and then got to about 20 yards. He was kind of looking my direction. Like, he wasn't looking at me. He was kind of looking, like, past me. And uh, some he kind of, I think, knew something was going on. I'm not really sure. It was just, like, the buck six cents or whatever. Um, but then he turned broadside and just stood there perfectly for me and I, I drew back and the way the stand was facing, um, you know, I was kind of turned around and I had to crouch and then lean out from the tree. Cause I had a branch right covering his vitals. And I was still, when I got leaned out, there was, I was a little worried of just hitting that branch and hitting, the, which was like covering kind of like the mid center of his body. And because of that, I actually pulled the shot forward. and hit him right in the shoulder, but I somehow, when I, mean, I kind of blew through both the shoulders and he only ran about 40 or 50 yards. When he took off, it was some of the loudest crash I've ever heard a deer When it, after shooting.
0: Yeah. So when I looked at the video, and granted, I'm watching it on my phone or on a small computer screen, it didn't look like you got a lot of penetration. Did you have kind of like an oh my God moment when you're sitting there like, oh my God, did, did I go through the shoulder? Did you have those thoughts at all?
1: Oh yeah, I was so nervous because I shot a deer in North Dakota in the shoulder um, like two years ago, and it more or less bounced off. And uh, so I was—I knew right away I was forward. I was a little bit, you know, optimistic because of how hard he took off. Um, but I was—I was freaking out. I didn't know. I mean, I was all scattered. And when I went down to check the arrow. I, there was blood on the arrow for you know, about a foot up and then uh about six inches of the arrow was broke off in the deer and there was blood all over at the site of impact. So that was that gave me some hope and then from there I backed out and, and uh waited a couple hours before going into track room.
0: So obviously, you know, you said you got six inches of arrow still in the buck, right? And so at that point you just do a little bit of math and you're like, Well man, i I at least got one lung, right? Or did you even think you were yeah. even forward that, you know, a little f- more forward to that quote unquote, no man zone.
1: Um, I mean, I, that's what I was thinking. I ended up being pretty forward and I had clipped the heart and stuff, but I, okay. uh, I was thinking that I was, well, if I got that much cause there's at least I had to have hit something. That was kind of my thought.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you, so, you got this. You got a little bit more of a better feeling when you went up to the side of impact, picked up your arrow, and then backed out, right? Yep. Okay. So, what did you do after you backed out? Uh, make some phone calls, look for some trackers. Yeah,
1: made, made some phone calls. Went over to a buddy's house. Um, had a couple guys come over. We watched footage. Um, they were all a lot more confident than I was. They were like, "Yep, he's dead. There's no way he's not." Um, and then. I was just trying to calm down more or less, and then we gave him about two hours before heading in, um, but the whole time I was just, I don't know how many times I watched the footage, and every time I got less and less confident, just, you know what that is after you shoot a deer and you're not quite sure, I mean, every right. time you shoot one, you just wish it was, you know, perfect pass through double lung, and you're like, yep, this is going to be easy, but I just wasn't quite sure, so.
0: Yeah, okay. So your buddies reviewed the footage. They were more positive than you were. How long did you wait before you went tracking? Uh, Two
1: hours. Okay, a little over two. I shot them at six forty-five, and by the time we were taking up the Bud Trail, was about nine o'clock.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So what about uh, uh, what happened? I mean, so from there, you got out of the truck, you went to the site, the last impact, and then walk us walk us through the rest of it.
1: So right away, it was evident that um, we thought we had a dead buck because there was blood, I mean, everywhere. It was one of the biggest, I mean, it was one of the most heaviest blood trails that I've I've been on. And there was, I mean, he ran through a creek. And so there was literally points where rocks were just red. I mean, it was nuts. And so as we're coming through, we only made it about 40 yards, he was where he came out of the creek. And uh, one of my buddies that was with me was like, "We got him." And I just was like, "What?" We just I was like, "We just started tracking him," and I was like, "There's no way." And he was laying right there, and I, I kind of just lost it. It was it was pretty uh, indescribable for me the fact that he only went that far. I mean, watching the footage, if it would have been not as thick as it was, you know, I would have saw him go down.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so the only reason you didn't is because. It was pretty thick. Yeah. Okay.
1: And so in hindsight, what I heard all that crashing is I was, I was hearing them go down, but not knowing that at the moment, you know, safe, better be safe than sorry. And that's why I backed out.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Well, you found it. Now, what, what was the feeling? You know, obviously when you found, you know, you found this buck, sigh of relief. Now talk about that moment where, you know if it's like one of the greatest moments ever for a hunter is that moment where yeah. you get to bend over and pick his head up for the first time
1: yeah it was um it was just so special for me because I had you know when you have friends with you that you know one of the guys that were with me is kind of like what I consider my hunting mentor kind of got me into bow hunting just having him there for that um and then just yeah it's like all those emotions I mean they described it was you know, as a hardcore bow hunter or deer hunter, but you know, you're doing, you're thinking about something white whitetail related every day of the year. Right. You know, right. there's not a day that goes by where you're not thinking about something deer hunting, no matter if it's January, July, whatever. And it's, it's like all of that kind of gets wrapped up into one, one moment. And then all those emotions are just like right there. And it's just, it was so amazing. And then the fact that, you know, this was, um, just, it was one of the biggest bucks I ever shot and a deer that, you know, everything just kind of played its part and he read the script perfectly. Like usually how it doesn't go. And I thought the shot, I wasn't sure in the shot, the fact that we found him so quickly, I just had taken me by surprise. So. Right.
0: Right. So you're happy, right? A little bit, just a little. <laughs> All right. So I know you mentioned this is a, this is a, like a, I don't know, a, a, a Uh, it's basically a 10 pointer with some junk. Did you happen to score him? What do you think his age was?
1: Yeah, I I rough taped him at 152 inches. Okay. And, uh, I think based on no previous knowledge, I mean, just, I guess him to be a, you know, he's probably a four year old. I mean, he had a huge body he's a tank. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I guess I'm, I mean, he was mature. That's all I was really caring about, you know?
0: Right, right, absolutely. So now what? I mean, you're tagged out. <laughs> and now you you still have the rut are, I mean, do you get another tag in Minnesota or are you heading to North Dakota again?
1: Well, I actually um had shot a velvet buck in North Dakota this year already. So okay, I uh tagged out there as well. So, um I am going we be going to Nebraska the first week of November and then um potentially hunt Wisconsin as well. So Awesome. We'll see, but it's Definitely being weird being tagged out this early. And then, you know, North Dakota, I'd hunt just as
0: much. So the fact that I can't go back there either. So I don't get any more tags in either of those states. Right. So you're, uh, you're sitting tight, biding your time, and then you're going to hit the rut, try to catch the rut in uh, Nebraska.
1: Yep. So right now I'm pretty much just starting to get some trail cameras up around, um, well, on that same property and other ones trying to, start gathering a base of information for next year that way if i could start you know i put a lot of stock into yearly tendencies and if i can get a buck that next year that's alive right now yeah. you know um try to start get that base knowledge of information pretty much
0: cool man that's awesome and uh so quick question what part of nebraska are you hunting west east central
1: uh northeast right across the bridge from iowa pretty much
0: oh okay so is that a I mean, is that a flat ag land as well, or are you going to be hunting some river bottom ground?
1: Um, like, it's like, um, more of the bluffs, um, so along the river kind of, so it's another, another small, small piece, but the piece in Nebraska is pretty cool because it borders, um, few hundred acres of highly managed property. So I think it's going to be pretty good.
0: (laughs) You son of a gun, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I love it when things like that happen, right? It's like, I I mean, I got a, I got a piece of, uh, I got a piece of property where, where I, uh, closer to where I live. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's on public ground, but I have access to walk through it. Uh, through a private piece to get to it's basically a field uh, to walk to get to this like this ultimate pinch point it's on public ground but if people walk all the way to it and stay on public they just kick all the deer out of there so I, I love those type of those type of it's almost like you think of it as a pinch point right but it's not necessarily a pinch point just because of who your neighbors are you know what I mean right awesome awesome yeah. well hey congratulations I hope your luck this uh, the rest of this year continues and if you get it done in Nebraska man I'd love to have you back on the podcast
1: yeah for sure that'd be pretty cool I wouldn't uh, be pretty sweet if I could put down a third buck in one year I've never had anything like that happen before so
0: absolutely I'd definitely come back on absolutely well if you guys get the opportunity go check out is it uh, what's your website ty- uh, URL
1: yeah uh and pretty much everything's there and links to my youtube channel and whatnot social so
0: yeah that's uh, kind of the, the hub to go to that's where the video's at as well so make sure you guys check that out well i tell you what alex man like i said good luck and thanks for coming on
1: all right thank you appreciate it dan
0: and there you have it huge shout out and another congratulations to alex man Beautiful buck, awesome story, and uh, good luck in Nebraska. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and their cameras, Wasp Broadheads, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Deer Lab, Prime Archery, Ripcord Arrowrests, Ozonics, and last but not least, Hunter Safety Systems, guys. If you haven't already, please go check out all the social media. Specifically, I want to say specifically this time, Uh, There's a lot of you out there who are listening that are not on the Nine Finger Chronicles Instagram page. So make sure you go and find it and follow it. Uh, A lot of cool information uh, going on there. My stories. I come up with some uh, information uh, throughout the stories and just more dumb shit. Other than that, check out iTunes. Leave a review or wherever you download uh, podcasts. If you like it, leave us a, a nice review and spread the word. Other than that, I don't have too much to say. Thank you very much again, as always. I really appreciate your guys' support and uh, look for some more big things to come, not only from the Nine Finger Chronicles, but from some expansion on the Sportsman's Nation as well. And I'm wishing everybody a good luck the rest of this week, this weekend, the rest of the season. And if you're going to be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week. Adios, amigos!